Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. So glad that you are here. Man, I'm ready for this word tonight. We are continuing. Um, this is part three of our series, My Blank is Not for Sale. And I'm, I'm really pumped up for tonight, so I might be a little over um, emotional or hyper tonight, but that's okay. Um, the Holy Spirit will, you know, calm me down or bring me up however he needs. But um, if you don't know me, my name is uh, Caleb Slavic, or you can call me CJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Riverside Church, and there's many things that I've been blessed and with the responsibilities of doing. But one of them that I hold near to my heart is that I get to share the downloads and the um, really revelations that God shares with me with my church family. And that to me is, is an honor that doesn't go any higher than that. So I'm excited about tonight. And like I said, we're in uh, week three of my blank. It's not for sale. And what this series is all about, if you've been here the past two weeks, is that when you are bought by the blood of Jesus, your soul is no longer on the market. When you are bought by the blood, when you have Jesus on the inside of your heart, there are things that the enemy has no authority to take from you. Because greater he that is in you than he is in the world. So when you have Jesus on the inside of you, there are some things that the enemy just can't take. And actually what happens, and we've talked about it, is that it's not that he steals from us. It's, it's what happens is that we sell things to him. And we, the first two weeks we talked about how our joy is not for sale. And, and then we talked the second week how our confidence is not for sale. And then um, this week we're going to um, continue on. But I'm excited for tonight. I just know that God has his hand over this message. And um, I'm really ready to to really get into scripture, but I want to welcome all our online audience. Let's give our online audience a hand clap watching to Facebook and YouTube. Uh, thank y'all for tuning in tonight. If you can click that like button, that share button, so we can spread this message to as many people as possible. But let's dive into the Word of God. We're going to be um, jumping off with Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. Um, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 through 7, and a little context about the scripture that we're about to read. Uh, so um, the land of Judah, which was, uh, you know, Judah and, and Israel has been split up, and, and Judah is, is one of them. Has, long story short, there's 10 tribes um, that were split up in Judah, and they were taken over by Babylon, and they were brought out of, of, of Judah and into the land of Babylon to uh, be suppressed in the Babylonian culture. And one of the things um, uh, that the king of Babylon, Babylon wanted to do was to really indoctrinate some different uh, young men of the tribe of Judah. And this is where we pick up in uh, verse 3. It says, The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. He said, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are all well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed him with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called uh, Balthasar. Sounds like a, like a magic potion with a wand. I feel like I need to say that. Belteshazzar, and then Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and, Az or, and, and, and uh, Azariah was called Abednego. Okay, so the title for tonight, the part three of, this, of, of the service that we're going to be going into, the series that we're learning, is turn to your neighbor, neighbor and say, my identity. My identity is not for sale. Come on, let's pray over service together. Father, we thank you that we gathered under nobody's name except for yours, God. We're not here, Father, for ourselves. We're here for you. We're here to grow closer to you, God. This is, this is something that we cherish. Being in the house of God is something that we don't take lightly, Father. So we come with a heart of expectation, and we're ready to see miracles, signs, and wonders take place. We're ready to see how many great things you have in store for us, Father. So we thank you for open minds and, and soft hearts. We're just 
ready to, to dive into the word tonight, Father. So we give this service over to your spirit. You have free reign, Father. You are the ones who are going to make what is seem to be impossible possible, God. So we give this service over to you. We dedicate it to you tonight. And we just thank you, Father, that you're going to make things happen on the inside of us that we never not see could happen. Father, you're going to transform us from the inside out. Father, we give you all the glory and the praise. And, and somebody says, everybody says, amen, amen, amen. So it seems as Christians here in, in the world that, you know, when we're talking about identity, it seems that our identity has been under attack lately. Or by lately, I mean for a long time. Like there's different things, there's different things that has been coming on us, have been attacked, and it seems as those Christians, we are aimed, we are targeted, we are always being torn down by different areas, and it's all attacking one thing. It's all attacking our identity in Christ, and it seems like there's an onslaught on it. And what happens is that we can be, be tricked, we can, we, we can be, be torn, torn away, we can be confused, and we can think that our identity is something else than what it truly is. And what happens is that we get into an identity crisis with ourselves. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we're going. We don't know who we are in Christ. And if we don't know those things, then it's, then it's hard to, to step confidently into your future if you don't even know who you are, right? And so it seems as though our identity has been attacked as Christians. And, and the first thing, if there's one thing I always tell people who, what's the first thing I need to do with my walk with God? I say, you, the first thing you need to do is you need to understand who you are. Because once you understand who you are, then you can take the next step of following after what God has for you. But you can't step into what God has for you if you don't even know who you are. So that's why this talk of identity is so close, near, and dear to my heart, because it's something that that we overlook sometimes. It's something that we can think that means one thing when it's really not, and the enemy always attacks. If there's one thing he always attacks, it's our identity. And so we can sometimes identify ourselves with the wrong things and identify things and confuse ourselves. And what happens is that we have a lot of confused Christians. You know, they, they know who Jesus is, but they don't really know who they are. And so that's what we're going to talk about is, is our identity. And so it's kind of similar to what the people of Judah are going through. So they have this been conquered by this outside force of Babylon and brought into an unknown land, brought into a foreign land. And it says that one of the things that the king of Babylon wanted to do was to take some young men from the smartest, the you know, most talented that Judah had to offer and kind of bring him into the waves of Babylon. Really what he was trying to do, he was trying to change who they were to line up to what Babylon was. And it says that they were young. They were only 13 years old um, or around that age. That's what scholars believe. And that's why I think it's, it's so important, you know, as parents, as, 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 as a society, that we tell our young people who they are in Christ before the world tells them who they are. If there's one thing I know is that if, if we don't tell them, somebody else is. And that's why you can't beat around the bush when it comes to your identity because I'm telling you, somebody's going to tell you. And I would rather be somebody who tells me who I am, be the person who knows me the best, not the world. And so what happens is that they, they were taking in these young guys and, and they were trying to change them and they were introducing them to these new things and taking away their old identity of, of serving the, the God of Israel. And so the, the, the goal of the Babylonian king was to change the identity and, and who those young guys, those, you know, um, Daniel and his friends, who they thought they were and totally indoctrinate themselves um, into the Babylonian culture. And what they went through uh, in the scripture we just read, sometimes you can miss it. I know I missed it the first, you know, 40 times I've read this. But there were three things that um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually were tempted with in that scripture um, that are three things that a lot of times we get tempted with. And so what we're calling them, um, and I'm going to run through, through this quickly, is that there are three indulgences and indulgences of identity death. And by that I mean there are three tactics, there are three things that the enemy tries to throw at us that take away who we are. There are three things that in the scripture we just read and we'll go through them that the enemy will use against us to try to confuse who we are. 
And so these are the three indulgences um, of identity death, and these are tactics of the enemy. And so the first one, is, it says in, in the scripture we read, it said that, that the Babylon king wanted to make sure that these young Jewish boys were well versed in the knowledge and the customs of Babylon. Wanted to make sure that they knew more about Babylonian culture than they knew about their own Jewish culture and, and trying to bring all that on them. And, and what they wanted to do was to learn all about the ways and knowledge of Babylon. And that's the first um, identity death is the indulgence of information. This, okay, I'm, tr- I'm talking about identity. I'm talking about what the enemy will try to do against us. And so what I mean by the indulgence of information, here was the goal. The goal was them to be so indulged in the, in the customs and the ways of Babylon that they totally forgot about the ways of the Lord. They were so indulged in the information, so indulged in that knowledge, and so captivated about the ways of Babylon that they forgot about Judah. They forgot who they were. They forgot where they came from. It can be the same things with us that we get to, what the, what the goal of the enemy is when we talk about the indulgence of information is that we get so caught up in the ways of the world that we totally forget about the ways of the Lord. We know so much knowledge stacked up. We read so many books. We read so many different things and, and posts and articles. We are well-versed in the ways of the world, but all of a sudden our, our knowledge about the Word of God takes second fiddle. And then we wonder why, because here's what happens is that when you are pressed, when you need to run somewhere, when you need to get and pull an answer from somewhere, you're going to pull it from, from the place that you know the best. So if you are, know the world's ways better than God's ways, when you are under a situation where you're saying, hey, I didn't know what to do, where are you going to look to? You're going to look to the information that you know best. That's why it's so important for us not to indulge in the information that the world has to offer. Because when it comes to a point when we need to use and exercise the knowledge we have gathered, we're going to pull from things that we already have. There was something, when I was in Bible school, there was a saying that was spoken so many times was, you need to get the word in you when you don't need it, so it'll be there when you do need it. And by that, saying, I'm going to take in the knowledge of God, I'm going to take in what the word, what the scripture says about me, even if, I, even if I'm not in trouble. I know a lot of us, we get our best Bible reading time when we're in a, we're in, when we're in a struggle. You know, we have our best Bible reading time when we need a miracle, but What we're saying is let's dive into the Word of God at all times. Make it something that it's not a chore. Make it something that it's actually a lifestyle that we're going to follow to be a disciple of God. And if we do that, if we, instead of indulging ourselves in the world's information, we say, you know what, my identity is not found in the world. My identity is found in the Word. And we go deeper in the Word of God. That is when we're going to be filled up with what He has for us. Because whatever you know the most of, that is what you're going to refer to, right? Whatever you know the most of. If something happens to you, you're going to refer to whatever you know the most of. And so what the, the goal of the Babylonian king, he wanted those Jewish boys to be so indoctrinized with the information of Babylon and the ways of Babylon that when something came up in their lives, instead of turning towards what there were in Judah or the ways of the Lord, they returned to Babylon. And so that's why we have to... Not be well versed in the culture of the world. You know, I believe we need to learn all we can. All we can learn, and it's good to learn. But let us not lose sight of what is more important. Let us not lose sight of where our identity comes from, because if we are not well versed in the kingdom of heaven, then how can we stand firm in our identity when things come our way? If we are more well-versed in the knowledge of the world, if we know more about, about the things, about pop culture, about this, about that, but we have no idea about what the Word of God says about us, let me tell you something, your identity is unstable. You have to be well-versed in, in the kingdom of God and in the, in the knowledge of God. And so that's the first indulgent, indulgence that the enemy will throw at us. He'll try to throw all this information at us, overwhelm us with information. Because he knows that if we become overwhelmed with the wrong things, we won't hold on to the right things. And so he'll overwhelm us, right? It's an information age. You can know anything. Google. 
I mean, cook anything, go anywhere, learn anything. I mean, we're in the information age, and so if there's one thing the enemy's trying to attack is what you know. And overwhelm us with information, indulge us in information, and all of a sudden now we, we turn towards Google instead of the Word of God. And indulge us in all the wrong things. And that's why we got to be careful in the information we take in. Y'all hear what I'm saying, church family? we got to make sure that our go-to, right, is the Word of God. And if you do that, you will see your identity become more and more firm. So that was the first one. The second one was, it said, after the king told them they need to learn all about Babylon, the second thing he said, and he, and he offered them, and it says that the king assigned them daily food and wine from his kitchen. Everybody say his kitchen, his house, his cooks. See, back in that day, the difference between what a king ate and what you and I would eat are totally different. You know, it's, it's, it was totally different things. Like you and I would be having bread and water every day. And the king would be having all these different meats, all these different fruits, all these things that the world had to offer because he was the king. And that's how it worked back in that, in that time. And so what he was doing by offering them this, this different meats and these wines and things from his kitchen, you know, things from his house, what he was showing them is showing them the lifestyle that they could live if they lived like him. If you follow after me, if you do what I'm telling you to do, look at all this meat, look at all this wine, look at all these exotic things. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're getting tired of, 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 of bread and water. If you live like I do, if you follow what we're trying to tell you to follow, if you do that, look at the lifestyle you will have. And that's the second indulgence. It's the indulgence of lifestyle the indulgence of lifestyle, what happens is that we will get so caught up in materialistic things, we will get so caught up in the things that the world has to offer that that becomes our identity, the things we have. And we associate ourselves with what we have. And we say, I'm the person with this kind of car. That's who I am. I'm the person who, who has an iPhone. I'm the person who lives in that kind of house. I'm the person that's this kind of, I have the person who wears this kind of clothes, and we identify ourselves with materialistic things and an overindulgence of our lifestyle, and that's the goal the enemy wants us to do, is to indulge in that and for us to, to attach our self-worth to those kind of things. You're only as important of, as what you wear, or you're only who you are as, as what you drive. And, and he gets us attached to this lifestyle. He gets us attached to materialistic things and makes that our identity. And he tries to associate who we are with what we have. If you have this, that's who you are. If you have that nice car, that's who you are. That's your identity. If you have, if you have this, in this, live in this neighborhood, if you wear these clothes, that's who you are. And what happens to us is that we get confused and we will chase after those materialistic things instead of chasing after God. We will chase after the nice car. We will chase after, you know, those nice clothes. We will chase after these things. Instead of chasing after a relationship with God, we're more caught up with what kind of shoes we wear. We're more caught up in materialistic things. We're more caught up in the lifestyle of that. And then that becomes our identity. And then we wonder why we get lost so easily. Then we get wonder why our confidence can be stripped so easily because we are associating ourselves with all the wrong things. We're indulging ourselves in that lifestyle. And I'm not saying it's not, it's not wrong to have those things. I'm not saying it's not wrong to have those things. It's wrong when those things have us. When we're so attached to those things, where we feel like, if, like here, here's a good way to see, am I too attached? If you would be, if your car would be taken away, would, you, would your pride, would your identity be hurt? If somebody, if you came up and, and all of a sudden your nice car that you drove got taken away, would you be like, oh, like, you know, feel like you, you, you feel like your self-worth went down? If, if you were in, in different, if a different, different materialistic thing was taken away from you, would all of a sudden your self-worth go down? If that happens, you are attaching yourself to the wrong things. Because I feel like I need to tell somebody in this house is that you are not what you drive. You are not what you wear. You are not where you live. You are not what this materialistic world has to offer. That is not you. So I want to run through these quickly because I have more, more stuff to say. So the third one, this is, this is really cool. The third one 
um, that they went through, that the, the, the temptation or the, or the tactic the enemy had against them. So when they came to um, Babylon, it says that the chief of staff changed their name. It said they, they changed their name. Um, the names they changed... So Daniel, his name, was Dan, his name was Daniel, that was his Jewish name, which meant, in, 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 which meant God is my judge. That's what Daniel means. But they changed it to, I'm going to try again, Belshazzar, meaning Bell's prince. That was a Babylonian name. And then it says uh, the name Hananiah, which, meant, uh, which was their old name, their name, their Jewish name, which meant beloved by the Lord, was changed to Shadrach which meant illumined by sun god. The name Mishael, which, which meant who is as God, was changed to Meshach, which meant who is like Shak, which was a Babylonian goddess. The name Azariah was changed to Abednego, which meant the servant of Nego, which was another god in Babylon. Here's what, here's what I'm trying to say. All their names that they had, their identity that they had was totally twisted. They gave him a new name, and it was totally backwards of who they were. It was totally backwards of where they came from. And, a name, but, and also the names that they were given were high titles, right? It was a high reputation in Babylon. They were given a name that meant, you know, the, the, the prince of or illumined by sun god. And all these names that represent high titles in Babylon, and that's the third indulgence, is the indulgence of reputation. What happens is that we will tie our identities to the titles that the world gives us. We, we tie our identity to, to, to the names, to the, to the accolades, to, to the things that the world tells us. And we associate ourselves not with what God calls us, but what people calls us. We, we, we associate our identity saying, you, you know, um, uh, not being a follower of Jesus, but being a manager of the business. You know, when they say, or, or not being a, a child of God, but we show ourselves or our identity is having a Ph.D. But I never want to be known just as what I do. I want to be known as who I am in Christ. When somebody looks at me, I don't want to just be known by what takes up my time. I want to be known by, by being a follower of Jesus. I want to be known that I'm a child of God. I want them, when they see me, not to see what the world calls me. I want them to see what God calls me, see Christ on the inside of me. But what happens, what happens, we get more concerned with our reputation with man than our reputation with God. And we're so concerned with getting those titles, getting those accolades, getting those things that would make people call us things and put us in areas and put us in these different clubs and different, these different things. And then that's what we attach our identity to. And we have no second thoughts of what God says about us. We just care about what people say about us. And we, keep, we just care about what, the, what our titles are and what our accomplishments are. And we attach our identity to that. And we become so focused or what people think about us, that we don't even give a second thought on what God thinks about us. And those are the three indulgences I want to go through real quick, that those are the ways that the enemy will try to steal your identity, because there was also another guy, in, in Matthew chapter 4, there was another guy who endured three different temptations, very similar to what we just read. It says when Jesus was just baptized, when he had just gotten, you know, when the Holy Ghost came upon him, he was then led in by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And it says that he was tempted three times by the enemy. He was tempted to turn up, write a stone into bread. He was tempted with food. He was tempted to, to you know, test God by jumping off a mountain and saying that he wouldn't be harmed. He was, he was tempted again by, by the devil in, 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 in the indulgence of a lifestyle saying, hey, if you serve and worship me, the, the, the devil took him to the mountain and I will give you all this. But each time Jesus knew he, who he was, he knew what his identity was. And here's the awesome thing. Every time, and this is why you got to get the word in you, every time the enemy tempted him, how did he respond? With the word of God. It was so deep in him. It, it was so part of who he was. 
when the world tried to take that away from him, when the world tried to tell him who he wasn't, he could respond with who he was. So that's what's so important about knowing your identity is because when you know your identity, you can withstand temptation. When you know who you are in Christ, you can withstand the different problems of the world because you're saying, hold up, that's not who I am. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to make that decision. I'm not going to have that habit because that's not who I am in Christ, and that's not who I am. That's not what I'm going to do. So when you know your identity in Christ, that's when you can withstand temptation. That's when you can withstand the different things that life tries to throw at us. But what happens is, you know, those three things that we just went over quickly, so many people attach their identity to those three things, to lifestyles, to reputations, to different things, and they attach it to them. And what happens is that when you attach your identity to those three things, those things will never become enough. There will always be another title. There will always be a newer car. There will always be different things you can do. There will always be a different lifestyle you can, you can go with. There will always be something new. And as soon as you get to that thing that you thought would make you complete, you don't feel the way you thought you would feel. And that God-sized hole is still in your heart. Even though you got that job, even though you got that car, even though you got the things that you thought that the world, hold up, that the world tells us would make us happy, that the world will tell you will make you complete, even when we get those things, we still don't feel whole. That's why we have so many people in, in depression and anxiety, especially in the people that the world looks up to, athletes, celebrities. They can be the most depressed people because they will look at their life and they will say, I have everything that the world says I need to be happy, and yet I'm not happy. And then they get into depression, and that's why they turn to drugs, because they're looking for something, and they don't know, and they're trying to feel something on the inside of them, and they don't know that the only thing that's going to make them feel whole is the love of Jesus. The only thing that's going to make them feel whole is the one who knows them the best. But it says that Daniel and in Scripture, if you know the story, Daniel and his friends, they resist that temptation. And they actually say, you know, I, I'm not going to eat that food. I'm not going to indulge in that lifestyle. I'm going to remember who I am. I remember where I came from. And although I might be in a different place, I'm not going to forget who I am. And they didn't do those things. And, and it says that, that they, didn't, they didn't compromise who they were. And very quickly, we'll read um, Daniel chapter 1, 15 through 17. So after they told him, I'm not going to do this, um, this is what happens in 15 through 17. It says, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and, and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. So when they stood firm in their identity, God blessed them beyond their expectations. If there's one thing I've learned about being a follower of Jesus is that when I stand up for him, when I stand up for what he, his ways are, when I stand up for the, the, for the teachings and the word of God, when I say, hold up, I know the world is doing this. I know the world is telling me to do that, but I know what the word says, so I'm going to stick with my identity. I've learned that when I do that, God blesses me beyond my expectation. I, learned, I, might, I might have to turn down uh, an opportunity I might have to turn down this. I might have to turn down something that, that looks good from the outside, but I know I would have to compromise something on the inside. So instead of doing that, I'm going to stick with my identity. Every time I've seen that, God blessed me beyond my expectation, beyond the opportunity that the world has to offer. So I just want to encourage somebody tonight, even if that opportunity you see seems so great, if it contradicts what you have on the inside, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth your peace. It's not, it's not worth your grace. It's, it's not worth your confidence in Christ. If you, if you instead say, God, you know what? I trust you more than, than I trust in the things of the world. If you do that and stick firm to your identity, I'm telling you, God is going to come through for you. And it's, another thing I, I learned from that scripture, it says they just stuck to who they were. And another thing that, that I've learned how God created us, the, the best you is the real you. The best you is the true you. The best you is not trying to become the, the, the ways and, and the person that people want you to become. The best you is just being yourself. 
the best you, the most successful you, the, the you that will, will step into all the things God has for you will always be the real you. There will never be a time that you can do somebody else's calling better than your own. There will never be a time when your talent of trying to copy somebody else or line yourself up with somebody else's expectation will be greater than the one that God has for you. The best you is the real you. So it says Daniel and his three friends, right, they stood firm in their identity and they didn't give into temptation. So when you know your identity, like I said, you can withstand temptation. Let, let me show you. It's a cool story that follows. So we're, we're going through the you know, book of Daniel a little bit, and we're going to pick up in Daniel um, chapter 3, verse 15 through 18. So King Nebuchadnezzar, if we know the old Bible story, kid's story, he builds a golden altar. He, he builds a golden statue, and he makes a decree that everybody in the land has to bow down and worship that statue. And if they don't, they will be thrown into a fiery furnace. And as we know the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they knew who they were, I just want, want you all to catch, because they knew who they were, they were able to stand up against what they weren't. And so it says that they, they didn't bow down to that altar. And then this is where we pick up in verse 15. And it says, this is King Nebuchadnezzar talking. He said, he said, look, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. And this is awesome how, how, how they respond. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Silly Nebuchadnezzar, man. So, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to even defend ourselves to you. Isn't that confidence in knowing who you are? Man, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't need to explain myself to you. I know who I am. Haven't you ever, have you been in a situation that you feel pressure and you feel like you have to explain what you're going to do? Like, we need to have our confidence so much in Christ that when something comes our way, we're going to say, I don't even have to explain myself to the world. It should be evident of who I am on the inside. And this is what they says in verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want, to make, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Because they knew their identity, they were able to stand their ground. This is why it's, it's so important to know who we are in Christ. Because when you know who you are in Christ, you're able to put your foot in the ground. You're able to stand up against the ways of the enemy. You're able to stand up against things that are contrary towards your calling because now you know who you are. And when you know who you are, and this is a point for tonight, when you know your identity, you can stand against idolatry. When you know your identity, you can stand against idolatry. And all idolatry is, is putting other things, materialistic things, above God. That's idolatry. Putting anything above, above Jesus, our Lord and Savior. But when you know your identity, you can stand up against those things. Because you know who you are. And when something comes your way that compromises who you are, and now that you know who you are, you can stand firm against it and say, I'm not going to do that. That's what they said. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, let me, let, I want you to understand something. We know who we are. Yeah, we've been in Babylon for years, and yeah, you tried to indoctrinate us, but let me tell you something. I know my identity, and what you are telling me to do does not line up with it, and I'm not going to betray my identity now. And they stood up against that statue. They stood up against Nebuchadnezzar. See, a lot of times what happens is that we don't even know what to stand against because we don't know who we are. Something will happen in our life and we're confused. We're saying, God, should I do that? Should I do this? What should I do? I don't know if this is good or bad for me. I don't know this. And we don't even know what to stand up against to. But when you know your identity in Christ, it should be like that. Why when something happens in your life, a light bulb goes off, your spirit man gets checked and says, hold up, hold up. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't line up with what God says I am. 
this doesn't line up with my convictions. This doesn't line up with my identity, and I'm not going to betray that. And they stood up against it. And here's, here's what happens, is that when your identity becomes a place in your life that now is your foundation, it moves from being something that was faulty, now your foundation, when it becomes a strength, when knowing who you are in Christ firmly, when that becomes a strength, now all of a sudden any temptation, any trouble, anything that comes your way, not only do you know who you are, but you know who you belong to. And that's what they were doing, and this is what, what is, is awesome about the story. We'll go over the verse real quick because it's really cool, is that, you know, when they, they denied Nebuchadnezzar and they said, no, no, I'm not going to betray my identity, and Nebuchadnezzar got so upset, it says that they threw him into a, 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 the fire, and they turned that thing seven times hotter, and it even killed the people who weren't even in the furnace because it was so hot, and they threw him in there, and he was watching, and he was trying to see them, see, see the power that he had consume these men, but all of a sudden, he said he looked into that furnery, that furnery fire, and there was a fourth one standing with them. And Nebuchadnezzar even said, there's, there's a fourth one in there, and he looks like the son of God. Because here's the thing, when you stand up for Jesus, Jesus will stand up for you. And he, and he looked and looked at it, and then we, this is, comes after that in Daniel chapter 3, verse 28 through 29. It says, Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's commands, and they were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except for their own god. They were firm in their identity. They knew who they were. They weren't willing to compromise. They weren't willing to betray who they were on the inside. And this is where it gets good. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then it gets dark, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But he says, there is no other God who can rescue like this. They were so firm in their identity, they understood who they were, and they understood who God was. And in, in that scripture before, they, he said, they said, my God has the power to save me. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to give in to you. And it, but it says this is what the kind of identity they have. This is why it's so powerful about being confident about the person who you are inside. Their identity on the inside was able to influence people around them. And they made a decree in that law that they had to follow after the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all because they knew who they were in Christ. That's what happens when we have our identity firm and founded in Christ, is that people around you are going to know something's different about you. Because they're going to look at you, and they look at times when you're casted into the fiery furnace and come out unscathed, they're going to say, there's something on the inside of you that I need. There's something that you know that I need to know. There's something going on with you that I want to be a part of. And they were influenced. The people of Babylon were influenced. The, the tactics of the enemy were, was meant to be indoctrinated them. They were actually to influence them and change the people around them all because they knew their identity. So if you want to influence people, if you want to lead people, you have to know your identity. You can't lead people if you don't lead yourself first. You have to know your identity. You have to know who you are in Christ. Because once you do that, once you understand the promises of God has for you, once you understand those things, I'm telling you, not only is your life going to be changed, but the people around you is going to be changed. Because they're going to see, they're going to look, and they're going to want to be a part of something they're going to want to see that, that, that hole that is empty on the inside of them. They're going to look at you and see how it's filled up. And they're going to wonder, what are you doing? What's different about you? And they're wondering why they don't feel that even though they have more stuff, even though they have better this and better that. But they're going to know that they want to be a part of something greater than they are. So we've been talking about 
identity in Christ and why it's so important and why it's so so important to know who you are. And, and when you dive into the, to who we are in Christ, there's so many things, so many awesome things when you go into Scripture. But I to put together something that's real cool, quick for us that we're calling the 10 I am's of our identity. And these are things that we got to look back at, that we got to refer to, because like we said, the enemy's always going to attack who we are. The enemy's always going to attack our identity. And the enemy's always going to try to do the opposite of what God says we are. And so here's a few or 10 I am's that whenever the enemy says one thing, you can respond with this. And it's, and it's backed by Scripture. The first one is 2 Corinthians um, verse or chapter 9, verse 8. It says this. It says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The first I am is I am blessed by God. Say, I'm blessed by God. Anytime the enemy tries to tell you you don't have enough, Anytime the enemy tells you that there's going to be too many bills at the end of the month and that you're not going to be enough, you're going to say, hold up, hold up. That's not my identity in Christ. I am blessed by God. And if I just put my trust in him, I know that he's going to meet me there. Second one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Second I am, say, I am righteous in God. Because the enemy will always try to convince us that we're not good enough, that our past is, will outweigh our future. And here's what, he, this, here's what the big one that the enemy tries to do, that anytime we come into a place of worship, anytime we come into a place of prayer, the enemy will try to say, hey, you're not good enough. You, you're, not, you're not worthy of it. Remember what you did? Remember who you, who, what you did or what you did wrong? But you can respond, hold up, that's not my identity in Christ. I am righteous in the eyes of the Father. The third one is 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, which says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Third one, say it with me, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. There's so many things that the enemy will attack that. We'll try to say that we belong to the world. We'll try to say that you are who your parents were, that you are who your family was, that what your family did, and try to attach those insecurities with the past mistakes of, of the ones that you didn't even make. But you can say, wait, my identity now is that I'm a child of God. Fourth one. Is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, which says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That one is, I am forgiven. Say, I am forgiven. There's so many times an enemy will try to bring up your past. We'll try, to, we'll try to print up your past mistakes and, and, and say, you're not even worthy of forgiveness. You're not worthy. There, there's things that you might be forgiven of, but there's things that are so bad, so terrible, that nobody would ever forgive you, not even God. But you've got you to respond always with the word. This is how Jesus responded and when he was being tempted. He, he said, hold up. And he responded with the word God and said, no, I am forgiven. The next one is 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, 5, verse 17, which says, there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. That is, I am a new creation. Say it with me. I am a new creation. So when, when the enemy tries to tell you that, and here's what, here's, here's what the crazy thing about being a new creation. By new, he means new. That there will be talents that there will be abilities, there will be different things that you had no idea you had beforehand, but when you were made new in Christ, he made them come up, 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 to the, up to the front. And so there will become opportunities, there will come different things in life, and you're going to say, hold up, I don't think I'm capable, I don't, I don't think I can do that, the, I, I've made mistakes like that in the past, I'm, I'm not capable, I, I tried to be a leader in the past, I'm not capable to lead, I, I tried to manage this in the past, I'm not capable, so hold up. Now that I'm a new creation, God has made all things new on the inside of me. So there's some things waiting to be discovered that lines up with what God's calling. Next one is 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, which said, This is love, 
Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Say it together. Say, I am loved. I am loved. There's so many times, man, the enemy tries to convince us that we're nobody. The enemy tries to convince us that nobody loves us. It always seems at our most lowest place is when the enemy tries to, tries to tell us, see, that's who you are. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's checking on you. Nobody even cares to give you a text or a phone call. You see, nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. But you can respond, hey, wait, what scripture is, now that I'm a child of God, I am loved. Uh, next one, we have to, there's a few more left, and then we're going to close. 1 John chapter 5, verse, 14, verse 15 said, if we know what he, if, if we, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. And his big one, I am heard by God. Say it with me, I am heard by God. There's so many times the enemy tries to convince me that God's not listening. I'm praying, I'm speaking. I'm fasting, I'm hoping, nothing's changing. The enemy says, see, look, your, your prayers are bouncing off the wall. Your prayers are not being heard or this, that. If they were being heard, this would have happened. That would have happened. This would have changed. And, and sometimes, I know, just like me, I can almost be convinced of that. But I say, hold up. In my identity in Christ, I know that when I have Jesus on the inside of him, uh, inside of me, I am heard by God. And my prayers, I say, the, the, whenever I do things for Christ, it's not going on on closed ears, it's going on God waiting to hear what I have to say. I am heard by God. Next one is Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, which says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's the next one. Say, I am not a quitter. I am not a quitter. This is something I got to tell myself all the time. Because there's so many times that it feels like doing good is not paying off. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what God is telling me to do. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping a clear conscience. I'm doing the right things. And, all of, and even though I'm doing all those things, it seems, it seems like I'm still falling behind sometimes. It seems like that the things that I wanted in my life isn't happening. And then I look around, and it's happening in other people's lives who I know aren't doing, the, aren't doing things that God wants them to do. And I'm, I'm going, my like, God, is it even worth it, even that? And then I remind myself, I said, wait. I am a child of God. My identity in Christ is that I'm not a quitter. I'm not going to give up on doing good works. I'm not going to give up on being a disciple of Jesus and following after him. Instead, I'm going to pursue after him no matter what because that is my identity. The next ones, we've got two more, is Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verse 10. I know we're going a little longer. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared, prepared in advance for us to do. Next one, say, I am gifted to do good things. I'm gifted to do good things. God has created some things on the inside of you that only you can do. God has put things inside of you that only you can do. God has done, has done things, has instilled passions, talents, and abilities that are designed specifically for you. And when we understand that I'm designed to do good things, now that makes me want to pursue after those things. And I remind myself, say, God, you know, I, I remember one of the things that Amy used to convince me of was saying, Caleb, I remember thinking, my man, I don't think I'm good at anything. <laughs> you know, thinking like I'm not really a good musician. I could have did like thinking all these things. And God said, hold up, hold up. You're gifted to do good things. There's things on the inside of you that only you can do. Don't compare yourself don't look around because what inside of you I put there. And he put there for a purpose. Last one. And you can stand with me, church family. Last one is 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, which says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Last one is, say with me, I am an overcomer. Isn't there so many times, church family, with the, the world, the enemy, 2020, makes it seem like we're lost, that we're losing, that there's no way out, there's no hope, there's, there's, there's too many problems in front of us. But when we remember who we are in Christ and we look and say, hold up, my identity, who I am, when I accepted Jesus in my heart, it's not that he, it's, it's who he is inside of me. 
Jesus is more than a more is an over he's an overcomer and if he's on the inside of me I'm an overcomer so church family I want to close with this thought is that when your identity is in Christ your identity will never be in crisis when your identity is in Christ, your identity will never be in crisis. If you feel yourself like you're in identity crisis right now, you don't know who you are, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're capable of, you don't know this, you don't know that. If that is you in the room tonight, I want to encourage somebody. If you put your identity in Christ, if you remind yourself what the promises of God are, you will never have an identity crisis. Things will come, things will go. Disappointment, disappointments might happen, elevation might happen, things might go right, things might go wrong, but your identity in Christ will stay consistent. But whenever, what happens when we have an identity crisis is that we just pair ourselves up with the world and, and however the world is going, that's how our identity is going. And we feel like we're a nobody, we feel like we're going nowhere, we feel like we have no options, we feel like we don't know where, what, what to do, what step to take. But when we have our identity in Christ, it says that he will equip us. He, the, what we read, he, he will give us everything that we ever need. He will give us the provision. He will give us the protection. He will give us the knowledge, the wisdom when we need it, the grace. Church family, your identity is Christ, is your foundation. And if we to stand firm in who we are and not betray the things of God, not betray our identity in Christ, I'm telling you, we'll never be in crisis. See, when you know who you are in Christ, you are equipped to overcome anything. You are equipped to overcome anything. And so I just want us to sing a song tonight, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dismiss, and we've gone a little over. But I don't want anybody in the house tonight to leave this place not knowing who they are. I don't want anybody in the house tonight to leave the house not knowing what they're capable of, not knowing their potential and their promises on the inside of them. So church family, let's just lean into this moment because the Holy Spirit wants to do some things. He wants to change some things. He wants to transform some things. So let's sing a song together. Let's lift our praises up to heaven. Let's give God a chance to transform us. Let's give God the opportunity to instill our identity. So let's sing together. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.